Father, we pray you would speak to us through your beautiful, powerful, precious word. Lord, we pray you would come and change us into your likeness and into your image through your word. We thank you you're already here, Holy Spirit, and we give you all the praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. So my title today, and I encourage you to take notes, is Get Ready to Grow. Are you ready to grow? It is spring after all. We, I would say we all want to grow, don't we? We don't want to stay the same. We all want to grow spiritually. We're talking about spiritual growth here. But do we realize that growth means change? Growth means change. Change precedes growth. Therefore, change is necessary for us. It precedes growth. So today we're going to look at the process of how God changes us and grows us. So how many people are up for a bit of change? Tell the person next to you, you could do with some change. Oh yeah. Now, hands up if you like change. Hands up if you quite like a bit of change. Hands up if you're honest, you just don't like change. Put your hand up. Okay. We've got all sorts. Hands up if you're like, well, it depends what the change is. Okay, okay. Okay. So point, we've got three points today. Point number one, change. I'm going to talk about change for a bit. Then I'm going to talk about how God changes us and then growth. Change is often difficult for us humans. It's easy for us to put our security in our peaceful routines, in the familiar things we do, in the people we know and trust. And change can be a real threat to us in our minds for having all our ducks in a row because someone's going to come and mess our ducks up. And we sure wouldn't want to mess with our happy little life by changing something, would we? Change can also sometimes feel like a threat to our personal security and stability. And peaceful, phlegmatic personalities often find change difficult and can be resistant to it. But usually the people they're married to who are opposite to them, powerful, choleric personalities, love a bit of change. And they are into it and they're stimulated by it. And you get a peaceful phlegmatic married to a powerful choleric and and a common combo. And then the results can be entertaining to watch. Because the choleric is always doing new things and new projects and going to new places. And the phlegmatic is dragging your feet and trying to keep up exhausted from all the change. I come from a long line of sanguine, choleric women on both sides. And sometimes I'd come home from school and all the furniture would be changed around. And you'd get up in the night to go to the toilet and you'd bump into things that weren't there yesterday. It's exciting. But whatever our feelings are toward change, we all learn, need to learn to navigate change in our lives because change is here to stay. And in order to grow, we're going to need to embrace change. So today we're talking about embracing change. Tell the person next to you, embrace change. Not embrace me, embrace change. That's right. We are going to change as we grow in God. And you know, people are constantly changing. You might think, yeah, I feel like I'm being married to three women, but it's the same one. She keeps changing. (laughs) You can change everything. You can change your look. If you've got too much hair, you can shave it all off and be bald and have a number one. If you're bald, you can get hair implants. You can get other kinds of implants as well. You can even ring up and get emergency liposuction. Whatever it is about yourself, if you don't like it, you can just pump it up or cut it off. 
And you know, if you're over 50, and then we have to realize, those of us who are over 50, that our look is not quite what it used to be 30 years ago. If you don't believe me, next time you get out of the shower, sneak a peek in the mirror, some things have changed. (laughs) And if there's one thing that won't change, it's the fact that things are constantly changing. My university lecturer 32 years ago said to me and the others in my class, you students would have more in common with any other young person anywhere in the world, no matter what their cultural language, than you would have had with your own great-grandparents because of the rate of change. You know, the rate of change that has happened in the last 100 years, in the last century, has been unprecedented. You know, we all know there'd be massive changes in technology. You know, there was um, cars and phones and electricity have only been around for the past 120 years. And now we have the internet and the digital age. There have been huge changes in travel. 220 years ago, around about, it was just horses and walking and boats and camels (laughs) and donkeys, if you're Joseph and Mary. This was before trains and cars and bigger, safer ships like steamships. 200 years ago, most people would never have traveled more than 10 or 20 miles from the place where they were born, the village they were raised in, and neither would their parents, and neither would their grandparents. This is why there's different accents in places like England, even though it's quite close together geographically, you've got all these different accents. And um, it's still like that in parts of Britain today, they don't travel very far. That mindset is alive and well. I remember when we were in London, and I talked to someone about Wales, and I said, have you been to Wales? No. Why would I want to go there, love? It's so far. It's two hours' drive. (laughs) Hello, hello. I think the adventurous ones got on boats and left and came to New Zealand and Australia. Kim and Paula, shout out. (laughs) You know, but we all travel more now. Alan and I had the privilege of going to 15 countries before we turned 30. That's common now. Go back five generations. Most people didn't travel more than a day's walk from their home. There have been changes in industrialism. A couple of centuries ago, people would live off the land. Most people were farming or living in small rural communities, but now there's this thing called urban drift. It's huge, and a large portion of the population, in the Western world at least, live in large cities, and those cities are getting larger. In our own city here in Tauranga, it doubled in 20 years. From 60,000 in the late 80s, it doubled. There have been gigantic changes in the family. We've had the invention of the pill and the sexual revolution in the late 60s, going into the early 70s, which changed a lot of things. We've had rising divorce rates, many broken homes. We don't just have kids living with mum and dad anymore. They're living with mum and stepdad, number one, number two, number three, plus lots of stepbrothers and sisters. It gets expensive at Christmas, I know. Uh, you know, a lot of the teacher asked them to draw a picture of their family. They're like, Miss, I need more paper. It's just complicated. I saw a thing that in the Herald the other day, and they said, will having two married parents be the new privilege? It's like, oh, wow. There's more babies born out of wedlock than in wedlock in New Zealand now. A lot of change has happened in the Western world in the last two centuries. And it's not slowing down, it's only speeding up, it's only escalating, and all of this change can create stress. So we can often respond to change by having a fear and mistrust of it, especially if we ourselves have been the victims of negative change in our world. Well, mum and dad broke up and we lost our house and mum and I had to shift into a small flat and move cities and I had to move school and I lost all my friends. Or... You were made redundant from your job and now you're unemployed. 
Change that is negative, change that is unwanted can make us feel powerless. So we can actually end up, even on a subconscious level, hating and dreading change. And then we come to church and you hear, come to Jesus and he'll change your life. And you're thinking, no way, Jose. Get your hands off my life. (laughs) You know, as we change individually, we will also change as a group, as a church. And we know traditionally in the Western world, the church has been the last institution to change. Over the years, if something is new and different, then it's often viewed with suspicion and it's of the devil. Remember when, who remembers when drums first came into churches? They were of the devil. Guitars, electric guitars, of the devil. When women started wearing makeup, Christian women started wearing makeup, that was of the devil. I remember when I got saved about 35 years ago, someone asked our pastor in Hamilton, should Christian women wear makeup? He said, well, if the barn needs painting, paint it. (laughs) You know, back in the day, everything was of the devil. Who's seen that Adam Sandler movie, Waterboy? And and his mother was, I think it was Waterboy. That girl is of the devil. Everything was of the devil. It was hilarious. Um, You know, even... Even clergy, which are ministers, pastors, clergyman. It's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's clergyman. I'm a clergyman. I'm a clergywoman. Alan's a clergyman. You know, they have been the last ones to embrace change. I've got some excerpts here, which are true stories about how clergy resisted change. What about subways like the Tube in England? There was a guy called Mark Brunel in the late 1700s, a brilliant young man. His legendary, his engineering skills were legendary. He planned the first tunnel under the River Thames, and it's still in service today. He got this underground digging machine that he made, and it made London's first tube possible. But during its construction, he was hounded by clergymen who called it a flirtation with the underworld. (laughs) What about radio evangelism? That's a good idea, isn't it? Get the gospel out to people who aren't saved so they don't burn in hell forever. I would think that would be a good idea. But this is what happened. When the pioneers of radio evangelism started using the airways to proclaim the gospel, they labored against a loud, persistent chorus of criticism. Clarence Jones, the co-founder of a missionary radio station in Ecuador, faced these questions from clergy. Will God prosper this newfangled fad since it operates in the very realm of Satan, the air? Don't the scriptures clearly portray the devil as the prince of the power of the air? And lastly, Sunday school. Who thinks Sunday school is a good idea to teach kids about Jesus? Well, one would think so. But when Robert Rake started the Sunday school movement, the Archbishop of Canterbury called together all the bishops to see what could be done to stop him. For he said it was a violation of Exodus 20 verse 8. In the late 1700s, Sunday school societies, which were firstly named Sabbath school societies, SSS, catchy, were started in the USA. But first, many members of the clergy were opposed to them, maintaining it was a desecration of the Lord's day to hold school on Sunday. One pastor said of a class held in his church on Sunday, you imps of Satan, I'll have you thrown out in the street. How to not welcome kids into church. Oh my goodness. So, you know, we can be resistant to change, but we've got to embrace change. We can't have that attitude, if something is new, then it's bad. We may not even be aware that we have that attitude, it may be subconscious. But the answer for our fear of change is always to put our security and stability in the Lord. 
who never changes. He is the only thing, the only one who will never change. Malachi 3 verse 6, I the Lord do not change. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God wants us to learn to embrace change as change is a prerequisite for growth. We are all called to grow. Get ready because change is coming to you. Did you know that God is heavily into growth and change? He himself does not change, but he is constantly doing new things. His kingdom is constantly growing and enlarging. And the Christian life is all about growth and change. When we're born again, that is a huge change. Here's my first scripture, Matthew 18, verse 3. Jesus said, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And that word change there can also be translated turn, unless you turn, unless you convert, unless you start over and become like little children. So we know that healthy things grow, and we know that growth involves change. So if we're spiritually healthy, we will be experiencing spiritual growth. If we're continually healthy, we will be continually growing. Not just when you're a teenager, not just when you're a new convert, all our lives. And if we stop growing, there's a problem right there because we're stagnating. If we're not moving forwards, we're drifting backwards. So spiritual growth should be normal for us, not just a special occasion, not just a couple of times a year when you're at a seeking God retreat, when you're at youth camp, or when it's increased time, or when we're doing prayer and fasting, or when you've just had a freedom prayer. Every day, we need to be growing in God because he desires for us to grow. Tell the person next to you, change is coming to you. And the person on the other side, they're feeling left out right now. (laughs) Now we all love babies, they are so cute, especially these two newborn boys down here. But no parent wants their dear wee baby to stay a baby all their lives, Uh uh-uh. A six-month-old baby is adorable, but a 35-year-old baby is not. (laughs) Ditch the nappies. Get toilet trained. Every parent has a vision for their kid to grow into a wise, mature, productive adult. Our Father God has the same vision for us. He doesn't want us to stay a baby Christian. He doesn't want us to drink milk. He wants us to move on to meat. And for all the vegans, I'm just reading the Bible. Don't shoot me. (laughs) The Lord wants us to grow into all he has for us. So we can't stay static. We have to change and grow. The good news is you're going to grow so much that soon you're going to be unrecognizable from what you were, from what I was. But here's the problem. Many of us resist growth, even on a subconscious level, because we don't like change. We say we want to grow but we're not prepared to pay the price of change. So today I want to ask you, are you willing to pay the price of change in order to grow spiritually? Because the Lord is committed to changing and growing us and he will never stop until we're like Jesus. He is committed to making us into the image of his son. Philippians 1 verse 6, he who began a good work in you, Uh, In the New Living, it says, I'm certain that God who began the good work in you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus returns. So the Lord will not stop until we're made in the image of Jesus. He is more committed to our growth than we are. 
and he is more committed to our growth than he is to our comfort. So the Lord will even make us uncomfortable if necessary in order to get the growth he wants for us and our future. And here's how he changes us. He prunes us. Point two, pruning. I'm going to read John 15, and here's the context. I'm just going to read four verses. The Lord is the gardener, Father God. Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches, Christians. And the fruit are the results, the evidence of our Christian walk, the harvest we produce in our lives. So John 15, NIV, verse 1 to 4. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. So the good news is that he only prunes his disciples. So if you're in a season pruning right now, that's a good sign. It means you're a disciple. We've got to let the Lord change us by letting him prune us. Pruning hurts a bit sometimes. But he only prunes us to achieve greater growth. It's always to make us better. And he is the master gardener, and he is looking for that great long-term shape of the tree we are becoming. And he sees the long term, so he will shape us accordingly. He is in no hurry. He plays the long game. And it's like this, we're a new Christian. And we're growing and we're becoming this little tree, this little plant. And we finally get a bit of a branch. It's taken ages for it to grow. Oh, we're so excited. There's a little blossom on the end. And oh, there's an apple. Look at us. We've got fruit. Hallelujah. We've arrived. We're feeling so spiritual. We're feeling so fruitful, so mature. And then what happens? The Lord comes along and ah, chops it off. I can't believe it. The audacity of God. Oh Lord, I just finally got a little bit of fruit. And you just, it took ages to form and you just came along and cut it off. What? Why? And we can get angry and we can get disappointed and we don't understand what God is doing with his secretaries, and we can even get mad at God because he cut off our fruit and our branch, which was looking so spiritual. And we can be in a mood with God and we maybe don't even know we are and we're on non-speaking terms with God. And it's like we're just waiting here for him to apologize to us. It's too late to apologize. Talk to the hand, I'm not talking to you, Lord. But the Lord isn't interested in a little bit of fruit. He's interested in a lot of fruit because the fruit isn't just for us. Our fruit we produce will nourish others, not just ourselves. Pruning involves not only cutting off bad branches, which are diseased or dying, it involves cutting back good ones too. In order to get that maximum fruit and that maximum future growth and height and the right shape, he has to prune us. He has to. And he knows that the weight of the fruit that we are going to bear could actually snap our wee little branch because it's not strong enough to bear the future fruit he knows we're going to have. He doesn't want us to be broken by the weight of our own fruitfulness. So he cuts it off. 
in order for us to become bigger and stronger. But we don't understand what's happening. And we feel ripped off, man. And we feel disappointed and it hurts our pride and it hurts our feelings. And Lord, it took me so long to get that little apple. Now it's gone. And I was looking so good. I was looking so spiritual, so fruitful. And we want to look good and look super spiritual and fruitful to impress others. But God prunes us and cuts that off. The one bit of fruit that was making us look good. And we're all about how we look now, but God is all about what we produce in the long term. Now, I do like myself to get out in my garden. I'm not a pro. I'm just learning as I go. I dabble a bit. And like many of you, I prune things in winter. Winter's the season of pruning. It's an annual thing. Roses, daisies, hydrangeas, the grapevine. I know that if I don't prune them, I won't get as many flowers. I won't get as many grapes. And it seems illogical to cut off that growth. When actually what you're trying to do is grow the thing, grow the plant and get get it to be bigger. So why would you cut it back? It's necessary. It's a necessary process to get more fruit. It's an annual thing, but sometimes it happens more often. Sometimes we cut back when things are growing too big. Pruning shows God loves us. It shows we're not growing wild. It shows we're planted. That's a good sign. In his garden, he cares for us enough to trim us up. He prunes and changes us for our good. There's a pattern to his pruning. There's a purpose for his pruning. He's reducing the weight of unnecessary heavy limbs and branches. He's cutting away those things. He cuts away things that are not not healthy. He cuts things away to make new room for new life and for light. He cuts things away to maintain the structural integrity of our trees so we can grow into the shape he has planned for us to be, he has called us to be. Now, some of us right now may be in a pruning season right now in your life and you you maybe even don't understand it and you feel a bit ripped off by it. God is pruning off some unnecessary activity. He's changing you. He's changing some things in you or around you and you can't control it. Or he'll cut off something that's dead or diseased from a past season. He might cut off some old thinking patterns, some bad habits. He might cut off some past relationships or friendships we don't need anymore. That thing there, that's just a distraction. He'll cut that off. Some wrong beliefs, let's cut that out. Some things that are hindering your future full growth, let's cut that off. We need to let him do it. Last point, number three, growth. We've had change, pruning, now growth. You know, Isaiah 46 verse 10, God says, I make known the end from the beginning. I make known the end from the beginning. So he sees us not just as we are now, he sees the finished product. The Lord wants the real deal. He is looking for fruit that will last. He wants to see spiritual fruit results harvest in our lives that will go on to bear more fruit. Do you know the Lord doesn't just see this year's harvest of fruit in our lives. He sees you generationally. He sees what's going to come from you. He doesn't just see the fruit. He sees the seed in the fruit. He sees the seed in the fruit. That means he doesn't just see you. He sees all the disciples you're going to make. He sees all the people you're going to influence. You know, one of the um, perks of getting to sit in the front row is I'm in the mosh pit every time. I love it. 
And it increased. All these empower kids were up here and youth. And, and um, one night, I don't know which night, all these empower kids were right in front of me. And they were in a line. And it was like I could see them in the natural on the line. But then behind them, I could see the rows of all these people in the spirit who they are going to lead to the Lord. Who they are going to, I could see future disciples in the spirit that were standing in rows behind them. And I feel like that's what the Lord sees. He is outside of time. And the Lord is into multiplication. And he wants us to bear fruit generationally. Not only talking about our natural children and grandchildren, I'm talking about our spiritual children who we lead to the Lord and then our spiritual grandchildren, the ones they lead to the Lord and disciple. God sees that spiritual seed in us becoming a tree that will bear more fruit. Do you know one apple seed can become an apple tree that bears thousands of apples every year? And each one of those apples carries seed in it to do the same. If the band could join me, please. His pruning in our lives brings the change that leads to our spiritual growth. The Lord is looking for a return on his investment. You know, look, I'm just preaching about change and Harrison's had a haircut. He is prophetic. He is the change. He's been pruned by the barber. The Lord wants a maximum crop, a maximum harvest from our lives. We don't understand pruning at the time. We've got to trust the gardener. He's been pruning for a long time and he knows what he's doing. Give him a hand. Doesn't he look? Doesn't he look mature? Now, here's the thing. Some of us here today are being called by God into something new. You're in a season of pruning. It involves change and it's scary stuff. You've never been there before. You don't know what it's going to look like. God will often ask us to lay something down before he will bring you the next thing. He may even ask you to leave everything you've known, all that is comfortable and familiar. And he will lead us out of our comfort zone into the unknown, like he did with Abraham. And he will even prune off things that we're trusting in. It will involve change, pruning, but then will come the growth. Do you know, we did this, Alan and me, Alan and I, we did it, both of us. (laughs) When we got married 32 years ago, God spoke to us to come to Tauranga and help Pastor James and Mary with the church. And God had clearly called me a year earlier to come to BC when I ended up, finished my training. So I'd finished my training. I'd applied for this awesome job in the primary school. But then the job I ended up getting wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I had my degree and my teaching diploma. I was so ready after four years training to take on my own class. But they asked me instead of giving me a class and being a classroom teacher, they asked me to be a trainee in Christian education. And I wasn't very pleased about that. Number one, I was gonna be on only um, two thirds of the income I would have been on. And uh, number two, I thought, I've been studying for four years. I've got my bit of paper. But But then the Lord come and prune that right off. That little flash qualification I thought I had produced. It got pruned off pretty quick. I didn't think I needed more training. The Lord said, actually, you do. Actually, you, you can be a trainee, Eleanor. You can learn some more. And I did. And it was the best thing ever. 
And I grew so much in my biblical worldview. And I got to watch so many incredible Christian teachers teaching from a Christian perspective, and it was amazing. And I thank God that we listened to Him and did it His way, even when I didn't understand the pruning. And a year later, He did give me my own class, and I was so blessed. You know, it wasn't an easy time when we came here. There were so many unknowns. Alan didn't have a job. And and my trainee job only paid $241 a week, and we couldn't live on that. And every week we were going backwards like this for five months until the Lord gave Alan a job. But do you know what? We didn't starve. We came right down to our last $15. We didn't starve. He looked after us. And the week we ran out of resource, He provided resource. You know, it would have been easier to stay in Hamilton because there was this massive youth group. It was youth and young adults. We had so many friends. There were over 200 of us every week meeting together. It was momentum. We were having a good time. And when we came here, our youth was only 25 people, and that was on a good night. And our church in Hamilton had over 1,000 people. And our church here at the time was only about 130 people, and we were the only married couple in the church without kids. And, and there was no one our age. And we knew moving here to Tauranga would involve a lot of change. New city, new jobs, new church, new house, new friends, new everything. But God had spoken. So we embraced Him pruning off everything we knew. And we came here. And then the Lord gave Alan a job five months later. And the miracle was He had sustained us on $240 in a two-bedroom house for five months. We started leading the youth here and we started helping James and Mary at the church. I started teaching at BC. And today we are so glad we allowed the Lord to prune off the old and lead us into something new, even when we didn't understand it at the time. I hate to think of what we would have missed out on had we stayed with what was familiar and comfortable and easy in Fog City, Hamilton. It's always worth paying the price of change and the pain of pruning to get the spiritual growth. And the Lord often has to take something out of our hands before He brings the next thing into our hands. So with pruning, we always have to give up the old and have it pruned off before we can receive the new. And that involves a period of holding nothing in our hands. But God, you've taken it out of my hands and it's always good to hold your hands open. If we hold on to things too tight, He has to prize open our fingers and it hurts. So we live with an open hand, He takes it out and then we feel foolish because we're standing here with nothing in our hands. God, I've got nothing. And it, it doesn't look good either. And someone goes, oh, what are you doing? We're like, nothing. And you're thinking, what will people think if they see me with nothing? What will I say to them if they ask me about it? How will I explain my nothingness? It's a difficult place to be in when you're between assignments. But this is the time when we need to trust the character of the Lord more than ever. Trust His pruning. Trust His goodness. Trust His character. Often we fear the change in the pruning because it means we won't be in charge. But the Lord is asking us to let Him be in charge. Shall we stand together?